Hello, Mage fans. This is Adam Simpson speaking for Mage the Podcast. Today, I would like to kick off what I hope will become a new series on the podcast. I'm calling it Tomes of Magic. This is my chance to go back and pick uh, published books for Mage the Ascension, uh, starting at uh, uh, 1993 and talking about them, uh, sharing with you what they offer, uh, what uh, they got right, what is uh, not quite as good as it could be, possible problems uh, with the books, and uh, just letting you know uh, what is available out there, what has been published over the years, because uh, this is not just historical interest. Those books are still available today in print-on-demand and PDF from uh, Storyteller's Vault, I believe is the uh, division of uh, drive Through RPG. Dot com. Uh, so everything is still available. You can still pick it up. And the uh, different editions of Mage uh, do not have as great a uh, differences as you may think. So you can take something from any edition and use it in any other edition uh, more easily than you may think. So before I start talking about the book that started it all in 1993, first edition core book, I want to take a brief detour and just talk about the different editions of uh, Mage the Ascension. There are four editions uh, available, and um, uh, for, there's first edition, second edition, revised edition, and uh, Mage 20 or Mage 20th anniversary. Uh, a lot of people just call it M20 for short. Uh, a lot of people take the current version of any role-playing game they like, and they say, well, this is the most current version. This must be what I should be playing. And uh, they uh, only look at that edition. And that's fine. Mage 20 is a great edition. I've got it myself on my shelf. I enjoy it. Um, haven't run a lot of games in it so far, but um, I plan to in the future. But what I want to say is that... Uh, the four editions of Mage have a lot to offer in their own right. And uh, even though there are four different editions, there are two that really stand out and are especially uh, worthy of your attention. Uh, if you like first edition, second edition does it better. And if you like uh, revised edition, Mage 20 does it better. Uh, I think if, if you're looking for uh, what to try for your next campaign, um, I think 2nd Edition and Mage 20 uh, are the two editions that are really uh, worth your while investigating. Um, Revised and 1st Edition have a lot of published books that are great resources for your game, but I believe that the rule sets, the uh, explanations, and even the layout of the books uh, are a lot better for 2nd Edition and Mage 20. Now, why am I recommending two editions instead of number one? I mean, why don't I just tell you my favorite edition and say, hey, that's the best, that's the one for you? Uh, well, the reason is... Uh, in role-playing game design, there are often two approaches. Uh, not in every case, but often. Uh, Mage, the Ascension, is no different. There is the rules light, and there is the uh, more detailed rules. Uh, the same thing is played out with the most popular and oldest role-playing game of them all, which is Dungeons & Dragons, originally published by uh, TSR. Now it's Wizards of the Coast putting it out. Uh, with Dungeons & Dragons, the current edition is 5th edition. That is probably the most popular edition. A lot of people playing that. Um, great game. But there's also a large number of Dungeons & Dragons fans out there right now who are running campaigns and having a lot of fun with Basic Expert. 
uh, often called BXD&D. BXD&D came out in, I believe it was 1980. So that is almost 40 years old. Why are so many people playing and getting excited about and introducing new players to such an old edition? Uh, it's not because 5th edition is bad or they hate it. It's because they like the rules light approach. Um, not to get into too much detail for you here, but the rules light approach to role-playing games is the rules are simple they are less detailed, uh, less page count is given to explaining them to the players. This is uh, strong in the area that uh, it is uh, quicker to pick up, it is easier to understand, um, uh, you know, just, just in a person's mind uh, intuitively. And because of that, it is a lot easier to um, make rulings during play. Uh, if the rules don't cover something, then the game master will look things over and say, well, the rules aren't all that complex. I guess I would change them this way or introduce a new rule like this. And uh, that's my ruling for this unexpected situation. Now let the game continue. And uh, the weakness of rules light games is there are a lot of people who want to have situations covered by the rules. And when they hit something unexpected, uh, the game stops. There's disagreement at the gaming table. Um, someone doesn't want to or doesn't uh, feel comfortable coming up with a ruling. Or uh, someone might throw out that ruling and say, here's how we'll cover it. And the other players say, no, I don't agree with that. I don't like doing it that way. These kinds of role-playing fans like the more detailed rules. And uh, I can certainly understand that. I can see where they're coming from. Um, so with Mage the Ascension, second edition is the rules light option. The rules are generally uh, simpler. There's less to look up. It is easier to get an intuitive grasp of them and to make a ruling on the fly. Uh, I, I'm used to that, so I guess I, I kind of like that. I'm not going to say it's better, but it's... Um, an approach to role-playing with which I am comfortable. Uh, there are a lot of people who I talk to online and offline who like the detailed approach to rules. I get that. that that's another great way to do it. They like Mage 20 uh, because uh, it covers the situations that might come up in their games. And once they uh, study those rules and learn them and, and put a few bookmarks into their gaming books, uh, they're ready to handle anything that comes up and they don't have to make rulings very often, which they often don't really want to do. So those are two editions of Mage that are available to you. They're both great. There's a lot of material in there. I recommend them both to people. And uh, you can ask yourself, am I a rules light kind of person or do I like detailed rules? Uh, either way, there is an edition of Mage that is ready for me to explore. So now that I've explained uh, the different editions, I want to get back to today's topic. And that is, I want to talk about the first edition of Mage the Ascension. This came out in, I believe it was late 1993. The book that started it all, it was the book that offered us uh, new rules, uh, the freeform magic system is what it's most commonly called today. It offered us the nine mystic traditions, the technocracy, the marauders, the nefandi, uh, all this great stuff uh, started in that book. And it was uh, an eye-opener for a lot of people, myself included. Uh, was a whole lot of fun. Now, the uh, on paper, the official, I guess you could say, first edition um, had a number of books that ran right up until the second edition core book was published and i believe there were there was a number on the spine of each book through first and second edition so second edition core book was number 14 even though you don't see a number 14 on the spine 
Uh, it was a core book, so it was above that sort of thing. But um, the third, so that was about thirteen books for the uh, official first edition. Now, I have another way of looking at it. For me, uh, there's an unofficial true first edition, and there's a true second edition. And this is just my take on things. But uh, the reason I see this is. Uh, Phil Bricado was his publishing name at the time. Now he is referred to as Satiros Bricado. Uh, came in as the line developer for White Wolf Game Studio. And he came in shortly after the first edition core book was published. And uh, he took over as line developer. Uh, it was his job to be editor and uh, director for where the game line was going to coordinate the efforts of all the writers and uh, a lot of other important responsibilities involved in that. He had a vision for Mage. And that, uh, for me, was really uh, second edition. And his vision was great. There was He had a lot to bring to the table, and we're very glad that he did. But there were some things from first edition that were forgotten. They were toned down. They were pushed aside to make room for the second edition vision. And I like both first edition and second edition a lot. But uh, I get a little nostalgic for first edition because it only had two books uh, published. So it didn't have a lot of time to communicate its vision, which I think was, was really a great one. And again, I like the second edition vision as well. Don't, don't uh, get the thought that I'm bitter about anything. I, I really enjoy all four editions of Mage. But um, I get so excited about the original uh, first edition vision, and that was one of the reasons that I took uh, to uh, online sources like, uh, in those days, Anders Mage Page, because it took the vision of the true first edition, and it, it ran with it. it. It understood what was trying to be communicated there, and there were a lot of unofficial fan pieces that were uh, typed up and put online that continued that vision of first edition, and that's why I'm working on reprinting that um, material that went offline years ago and making the new website uh, Anders Mage Page 2.0. But I'm not going to get into that now. I uh, talked about that before. So back to first edition. Um, I get so excited about it that uh, I just got to try and curb my enthusiasm uh, for this episode of Mage the Podcast uh, so that I can speak coherently, which I'm told is usually a good thing. So as I keep my uh, uh, excitement uh, to a minimum, why don't I tell you what was so interesting about first edition? The first edition, uh, of course, introduced to us the Freeform Magic System, which won awards at uh, uh, gaming industry uh, ceremonies. Um, as it turns out, I found out years later that uh, an award was given to the Freeform Magic System of uh, Mage the Ascension. Uh, also, the nine mystic traditions that we enjoy so much and have talked about for so many years were introduced in first edition. Uh, the basic concepts were there from the start. And second edition added new groups like the Ali Batin, I think is how it's pronounced, and a number of other great uh, things that we'll get into later. Um, most of what we talk about today in, in um Mage the Ascension was right there from the beginning, including the five conventions of the technocracy. Love them or hate them, they were there from the start and uh, were much discussed. Now, the rules for first edition um, were reworked uh, heading into later 
first edition and second edition, uh, they were not so much scrapped and rewritten as they were uh, streamlined, they were refined, uh, there were some helpful innovations in there. Uh, Sotero's Brocato really did a lot of us a big favor in his um, uh, refining of the rule set. And so that's why I tell you, if you like first edition, second edition did it better. Not because the second edition view of the Mage of World was just better, but because the rules system is better. So if you're going to run a game, you need to read those rules and make a few references to them at the game table. And so, hey, second edition is going to help you out more than first edition. Um, so even though the rules were a bit clunky, they were soon uh, refined uh, before second edition core book was even published. Um, as I said, Bricotta did a lot of great work for us and uh, kept that game strong. Now, some people, uh, some mage fans that I talk to uh, have told me that uh, they remember first edition fondly. They, they like it because it had so many dark corners, as one uh, mage fan put it. There were so many areas of the world of mage that were not yet detailed. They were just hinted at. Uh, they were given a, a name, but no further material. And so there were a lot of um, uh, unknowns, uh, a lot of uh, virgin territory, you could say, where a storyteller could write in uh, whatever they liked. And uh, yeah, I think that's great too. But I didn't like first edition for what it didn't have. I liked first edition for what it did have, what it did offer to us in that core book and, and the first uh, true supplement, which was Loom of Fate. First edition had a view of the world of mage that is uh, had a lot of different emphases and even some different uh, specific material than we were seeing in second edition. And I think if you create a synergy between the setting of first edition and second edition, you can uh, create something for your players that is uh, really thought-provoking and a lot of fun to play through. So let's talk about this. What did first edition bring that was toned down and forgotten later on? Um, what I really liked was first edition uh, focused on the overall concept, uh, not so much the details. The I got the sense that the people writing for first edition really uh, felt like they were under the gun to communicate a large and complicated concept to the readers. And so they let a lot of things slide uh, when it came to, for example, the Akashic Brotherhood or the Euthanados traditions. They put down some very basic information, and it was, in effect, a placeholder. They said, look, uh, we've got this group. Um, they're going to be interesting. We don't have a lot of time to talk about them now. We'll get into this later. For now, we're just letting you know that they're here. Uh, just give us some time to flesh this out. We really want you to understand the overarching uh, concept here in, in our first edition. So... What was this uh, big concept that was so difficult to communicate? Well, really, um, today, uh, still after four editions and a lot of books, there are a number of people who uh, have a hard time understanding the metaphysic of magic, the whole um, understanding that um, they should have to approach magic in games of mage. And so we shouldn't be too critical of the attention that the first edition writers put into uh, communicating the big concept because I, I think it was a big concept there were a lot of things that uh, are tough for people to pick up especially people coming in from a game of werewolf or dungeons and dragons or or other games where um, mage really offered something new um, there were two things about 
um, magic in first edition that are important to communicate. Um, now, a lot of people uh, know that uh, the explanation for why we don't see fireballs down Main Street in the world of mage is because of paradox. If mages are flashy or um, forthright with their um, powerful magic, then paradox is going to shut them down very hard, and so mages are very conscious of this, and so they keep things on a low profile. That is half the story, though. That is not the full story. First edition did a very good job of communicating that there was another reason that reinforced the secrecy of magic, and that is mages were focused on their own goals. Uh, mages were part of a mystic society or uh, you know, the world of magic and the supernatural, and because of that, they were interested in things that sleepers did not know about or did not really want. Um, sleepers want uh, political power in sleeper society. They want uh, money. Uh, they want um, uh, knowledge about uh, things that are very real to, uh, to them. Mages are in a different category. Mages want uh, quintessence, which is magical power. They also want nodes. These are things that sleepers don't even know about. So mages spend a lot of their time trying to uh, get a hold of uh, more quintessence uh, nodes because they are sources of quintessence. And so mages are trying to get control over pieces of land that oftentimes have no value to sleepers. Uh, mages want to track down talismans, uh, which are you know the term for magic item in mage. Uh, they want these objects of power that sleepers don't even believe exist. Uh, maybe a few of them are um, items in um, uh, museums, but for the most part, uh, talismans are uh, you know objects and, and pieces of equipment and, and items that sleepers have never heard of. And, and even if sleepers had them in their hands, they would have no reason to think they were anything special. Mages also want uh, knowledge of things that are in the Umbra. Uh, first edition makes it clear that there are a large number of mages who spend their time in the Umbra, either looking for realms or looking for things that disappeared in those realms or trying to gain more knowledge of what's going on in the Umbra. Sleepers don't even know that the Umbra is there. Uh, mages want political power in mage society, not really in sleeper society. Mages want to be in charge of their tradition or their convention. They want to have a prominent position in a chantry. And uh, first edition told us that a lot of the chantries exist in horizon realms that are removed from the uh, earth of uh, everyday sleeper life. And so mages are pursuing uh, political power and influence in groups and places that sleepers don't even know about at all. So really, mages are interested in different things than sleepers. So mages are putting all their effort into things that sleepers have never even seen or heard of. And that keeps mages removed from uh, making a flash on Main Street or in a capital city or even in the history books. Uh, mages have their own history, their own goals, their own groups that they're interacting with that sleepers don't even know about. It's like a shadow history. So if you were to go in first edition to a chantry and talk to the mages there and see what, they, what books they were reading, what things they were talking about, what things they were concerned about, it would be a whole set of historical events and famous people and famous objects and rotes and uh, places of power that sleepers have just never heard of. And even if you told sleepers about them, it they just wouldn't understand why uh, anyone would care about those things.
And now moving down my list, the other thing that was communicated by first edition was that mages were abstract thinkers. They were, in a manner of speaking, big idea people. Mages were focused not on things that were happening today or even next week or next year. Mages were thinking about large overarching concepts. They were worried about uh, where society is going, um, the predominant paradigm of sleepers. Mages wanted to make long-term large changes in the world that would make their style of magic more accessible in the future. Ten years from now, a hundred years from now, mages really had a focus on the big picture. And that sort of high-level abstract thinking and, and sets of goals are harder for sleepers to connect with. Uh, most sleepers are for better or for worse, worried about the next election or uh, what their religious group is doing or um, uh, something about sleeper history that is, is important to them that, again, mages just aren't really all that interested in. So if you were to go to mages and say, hey, this religion is pushing this other religion out of this country or, hey, this... Uh, um, set of information about history is being reported incorrectly, or, hey, this this politician just came into power and now everything's going to change in this country. Um, according to first edition, most mages would say, well, um, I'm sorry, I just really don't care about that. That's what the sleepers are doing. The sleepers are doing their thing. And I'm a mage, and us mages, we're, we're doing our mage things, and there's not a lot of overlap here. Uh, let the sleepers handle their own problems. Uh, we mages are going to handle our problems. Um, the most concern we have for sleepers is to, um, you know, go to uh, some of their ancient sites and some of their museums and some of their, um, you know, capital buildings and uh, hunt down some information that matters to us. Uh, you know, even their religions and uh, their philosophies are just not so applicable to us. We have um, higher level um, meta-religions and uh, higher level um, historical facts and historically important people that, that we're worried about. So that kept mages separate from sleepers, and the result of that was mages were a lot more mysterious. They were very um, enigmatic, uh, magical sorts of figures who would kind of walk in to regular life and sleeper society every once in a while, look around a little uh, maybe stir up a little bit of trouble, and then they would quickly fade out of the picture again and go to their magical places and their magical societies and talk about things that uh, uh, just didn't make any sense to sleepers. And so uh, players in this game uh, had a really fun time trying to learn more about the hidden mystic societies and the shadow history and the hidden places and, and getting into all these things that they just knew nothing about before. First edition really made that exciting for me, and I like to bring that set of ideas into my current games. Uh, first edition focused on the relationship between mages and all of history or all of society, uh, the relationship between mages and the dominant sleeper paradigm. Mages wanted to make large, vague, long-lasting change. And for me, that was very interesting. Uh, that really uh, fired up my thinking and, and got me excited about a lot of different possibilities. Second edition uh, saw 
a real problem that was happening uh, among Mage fans, and that was that there were a number of Mage fans who were having trouble connecting with this. They felt like they couldn't relate to Mages, they couldn't relate to a lot of the things that were going on in uh, the game world. And so when Satiros Brucato came into second edition, he said, hey, I want to make this game more personable, more relatable. I want to focus on um, a mage's uh, inner journey, uh, their relationship with themselves, how they cope with their new life, their mystic path, their uh, learning of magical lore, and their progression towards personal ascension, and finding their place in a large, mysterious world. That was a great thing. That was very helpful. It uh, made Mage much more accessible to a large number of fans, and I'm glad that Satiros Brocato offered that to us. But at the same time, I look back at first edition and that large, vague, abstract approach to things, and there's a lot there that appeals to me. I, I just get excited uh, thinking about that. So I like to go back and pick up my first edition core book and uh, read through it again at times, not for the rules, but for the setting information, which is not like uh, anything you're going to find in later editions of Mage. And so if you have a chance to uh, pick up a, a print-on-demand or a PDF of that first edition core book, I think there's going to be a lot in there that's going to stimulate your thinking and help you to see the world of Mage in a way that you may not have uh, thought about before. So that's my challenge to mage fans who have been in the game for a while and have only seen uh, later editions. Uh, there's more to it than you may think. Uh, another thing about first edition which I found interesting was it did a good job of communicating this idea of what sort of person became a mage. Um, my own feeling was that later editions of the game made it look like uh, becoming a mage was more a... Um, a random event. It, w it was uh, just percentages. Um, mages that you find are more representative of a standard sampling of society. You've got all personality types, all points of view, all walks of life, and, and that's fine. And it makes the game very relatable for people and maybe a very good idea for a lot of mage fans. But for myself, I liked that first edition idea that Mages had to have three qualities or they would never become a mage at all. Uh, all mages were very intelligent. They were open-minded, very flexible thinkers who could look at a problem in uh, a variety of different ways. They could take multiple approaches to a situation um, and, and entertain that thinking at the same time. Um, and the third was they were very strong-willed people. They had a very firm will. Once they had a new idea or looked at something in a totally different way, they could use a strong will to uh, force their change uh, using magic on the world. And so because these three qualifications were needed for a person to awaken and become a mage at all, uh, there were very few mages. All the additions do a good job of letting people know that there aren't very many mages in the world. They're a very valuable commodity you could say. But uh, first edition, I think, did the best job of communicating a very small uh, group of people that um, valued each interaction with another mage. I mean, in some cases, if you're on uh, if you're on Earth and not in some horizon realm or out in the Umbra, then every time you met a mage, that was a memorable experience that was really worth uh, noticing, uh, really worthy of the player's attention. 
uh, because this society of magic was was quite small. Uh, there weren't many people who had the qualifications. Uh, because of that, First Edition also um, painted a picture of mage society as being quite intellectual. Now, it wasn't all eggheads reading books and uh, writing treatises. Uh, the fiction that started off the First Edition core book did a very good job of communicating high-octane action and adventure, uh, thrills and spills. Um, some people read it and they think it's a little bit corny. It's like, oh my gosh, there's so much car chases and sword fights and and uh, you know chases through airports and, and all this sort of thing. Isn't this a little cheesy? It's like, well, no, I think it was really needed. Uh, the rest of the book um, gives us very cerebral, intelligent, scholastic sorts of mages, but this opening fiction makes it clear that, hey, this uh, setting has something for everyone. There's a lot going on. It's not all uh, studying tomes of magic and increasing your sphere knowledge. There's also fights and chases and action. And uh, you can have as much pulpy adventure in here as you like. In fact, we encourage it. But getting back to this uh, intellectual society, uh, there's been a few times in my own experience uh, when I was around college age where I was in uh, special settings where I was around um, these elite, uh, intelligent, uh, scholastic sorts of people. And uh, I remember at the time being a little jealous. I, I wished I was that sort of person, so I fit in better there. But uh, these um, advanced studies uh, sorts of people were reading uh, a lot of old, thick books. Um, they were discussing philosophies and schools of knowledge uh, you know, with simple aplomb. They were a really very intellectual people, uh, reading a lot, writing a lot, discussing a lot, having very interesting conversations. And First Edition wanted to communicate this feel for mage society. These were uh, the smart guys. Now, they weren't boring guys. They weren't always sitting around, but they were very sharp people. They had a lot to say. They had a lot of uh, knowledge they've taken in, and uh, they have created for themselves a really intellectual society. One example of this is page 59 of the first edition core book. It tells us about colleges with a capital C. These are colleges of mage society. Uh, second edition and later, it uh, doesn't seem to mention them, at least that I can remember. Uh, a college in mage society is a, a sort of club or group where mages from different traditions of the Council of Nine get together and say, hey, we are really passionate about uh, this field of study or this, uh, you know, developing this idea. And so we're going to make a club of mages where we are going to get together and debate it, uh, create research projects or experimental um, laboratories where we really pursue this this area. Uh, the example they give is the Society of, I believe it's the Society of the Burning Wheel, which is predominantly uh, Celestial Chorus Mages and uh, Order of Hermes Mages. They are concerned about um, developing their knowledge of uh, the sphere of prime and how it might relate to other things and how it might lead the way to a tenth sphere of magic that has not yet been uh, formulated or discovered. And so they would have all kinds of debates and magical experiments trying to increase their knowledge of prime. And it really was an intellectual enterprise. Now, that doesn't translate easily into uh, uh, high-tension action scenes in Mage, um, unless you, uh, you know, get a little creative with it. But I thought it really enriched the setting, and I imagine there being all sorts of different colleges, some of them more uh, scholarly, some of them less so. 
that uh, opened up a lot of possibilities for uh, rich gameplay. And uh, not just the colleges, but there were other things about uh, uh, the intellectual approach in first edition. There was a lot of emphasis placed on uh, libraries. Every uh, mage was encouraged to spend some points in background and, and develop their own library. Mentors could sort of double as a library for study purposes. Um, mages were very powerful in first edition. Uh, they could more easily spend their experience points and get experience cost discounts from studying so that they could advance quickly in their spheres. And mages uh, having this level of power was not considered so um, upsetting to the game world because, again, mages were spending a lot of their time in chantries and horizon realms and umbral realms um, in very secluded places uh, playing out their uh, mage uh, conspiracies and, and, and adventures uh, up, away from sleeper society. So when mages had a battle or had a major upset or a major political victory or, or you know, upset everything, uh, again, sleepers very rarely even noticed that it was happening. So powerful mages were not considered such a problem. They were outside of sleeper society so often. And when they were there, well, Paradox uh, kept everything low-key. So this, this more big picture, abstract approach to things, this more scholarly bent to mage was uh, represented very well in first edition. And so uh, a lot of things there uh, really get me excited, really get me interested. So I recommend uh, picking up first edition, not for the rules that it lays out, but for the setting material, which uh, I think will stimulate a lot of uh, great ideas for your own chronicles. It's a different way of looking at mage. Uh, today, when I uh, talk to other Mage fans and I talk about uh, First Edition, uh, they seem to have a little trouble understanding. Uh, they're saying, look, uh, the rules in Second Edition were better. Uh, concepts, a lot of concepts were explained in, in more concrete terms. Uh, why are you so excited about First Edition? Why, why do you want to focus on that? Why don't you just let it be a... Um, clumsy first attempt, uh, push it aside and focus on the good stuff. And when I try to explain my feelings on the subject, uh, really, I think about a scene in a comic book that communicated it uh, so well. Uh, the Sandman uh, comic book series by Neil Gaiman and Vertigo Comics uh, had an original series that was nine or ten books. The final book in that series was called The Wake. And it has a great scene towards the beginning. <clears throat> where the main character, Morpheus, um, the uh, member of the Endless, the Lord of Dreams, a very supernaturally powerful, important figure um, behind the scenes of the world, um, has had a major cataclysm and he was killed. He has been eliminated. And so all these different members of the realm of dream and the other members of the Endless who are so important in running the universe are getting together and they're saying, oh, this is a real tragedy. We have to mourn the loss of the Lord of Dreams and we have to set things in order for what comes later. And so they uh, choose... An, a, a man who's going to be um, an officiant, uh, a person who is important in the funeral ceremony that they have for the Lord of Dreams. And so he goes to the castle, which is kind of the headquarters of the realm of dreaming, which is outside of 
of Earth. And he gathers together a number of uh, important people there at the castle, and they're going to go to uh, this uh, wake or, or funeral ceremony. And as they're all leaving with the officiant, uh, the attendees turn back and they wave to a young man on a balcony who's very finely dressed and who's not going to the funeral. And so the officiant asks them, uh, who, who are you waving to? Who is that? And they say, oh, that's the Lord of Dreams. And the officiant is, of course, confused. And he says, well, wait a minute here. I don't understand. Uh, he asks for more information. He basically says, um, uh, if that's the Lord of Dreams, then what died? Who are we mourning today? And the reply comes, a point of view. And that expresses it so well. If, with first edition, it was a point of view of the world of mage that was too early uh, pushed aside uh, in favor of the point of view that came to us in the second edition. And again, I like them both. They're both great. Uh, they are both certainly worthy of your attention. I'm thankful for what uh, Satiros Procato offered us. But still, there's a lot to, to learn from uh, first edition. And so sometimes I get a little uh, uh, teary-eyed about how short the uh, first edition run was. But it's still there for us in Loom of Fate and the first edition core book. We can still look it up today and uh, benefit from the richness that's there. And we can even go to the material of Anders Mage Page and see how that was continued by enthusiastic fans, developed further, the early views of um, everything that was going on there has given a little more material for us. And I'll try to offer more of that to you on Anders Mage page 2.0 in the future. But that is my look back for Tomes of Magic on first edition core book. A great book with a lot to offer even today for mage fans, regardless of what edition you are playing. Worth a look. And uh, if you don't have time for that, then take my word for it. Uh, uh, there's some good stuff there, and I've had a chance today to tell you a little bit more about it, uh, so you can play with those ideas on your own. Maybe uh, a new direction or a new side story will be added to your own chronicle. And of course, the Mage the Podcast, we always like to hear about that. If you would like to communicate with us, there are several ways you can do it on Twitter or on email. Let us know what you're thinking. And uh, hopefully, uh, in the days ahead, I will have a chance to continue Tomes of Magic and look at some of the other books published for uh, Mage the Awakening. Uh, next time, I'd like to look at uh, Loom of Fate, uh, which is one of the earliest books for Mage. So, signing off, this is Adam Simpson for Mage the Podcast. You can find us online, magethepodcast.com. You can listen to past episodes there, see what we've uh, talked about in the past. You can also follow us on Twitter, at MageThePodcast. We'll let you know what we're doing these days. You can subscribe to Mage the Podcast on iTunes. And, you know, if you got anything out of the episode today, then someone else might uh, get something out of it, too. So if you give us a review on iTunes, then it makes uh, Mage the Podcast easier to find when people are searching through that uh, for new things to listen to. Uh, you can also find us on Google Play and the TuneIn app. And uh, we look forward to hearing more from you. And uh, hopefully soon you'll be hearing more from us. So signing off, this is Adam Simpson. And uh, wishing you success with all of your Mage Chronicles. <laughs>